The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Hi, Boomos. Welcome back to another episode of Being Boomo. I am incredibly excited for today's episode because our guest is personally a very close friend of mine and someone who I've looked up to for so many years, Lisa Ling. Many of you might know her from her hit show, This Is Life on CNN. Lisa got her start in journalism as a correspondent for Channel One News, where she covered the civil war in Afghanistan at the age of 21. And quite honestly, that is where I first saw Lisa. She was one of the only Asian faces on television during that time. She later went on to become a co-host of ABC Daytime's hit show, The View, which won its first Daytime Emmy, also was a correspondent for The Oprah Winfrey Show. And in 2011, her acclaimed documentary series, Our America, began airing on OWN. Also in 2014, President Obama named her to the Commissions on the White House Fellows. She is an award-winning journalist, a mother of two, daughter, sister, friend, wife, co-author, and my good friend. Our conversation was incredibly enlightening for me on so many levels as we talked about relevant issues and the virus, the negative side effects on kids' mental health during this pandemic, to why she does not allow her kids to watch YouTube. With that said, here's our conversation. I am in my eldest Jet's room because my husband has commandeered the office for today. He actually has been going to the office, but randomly he'll decide that he's going to work from home. And so who's the one who gets kicked out? Me, of course. (laughs) But yeah, let's definitely get into that later. (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. So, I mean, let's start off with like, I always like to start off with this question because I hate the word or I hate the sentence, how are you? But like, I feel like when I ask that question now, it has like a different context. Like, how are you really during these times? Like, how are you coping? Have you like figured it out? Like your new, the new norm? Like, how are you? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a complicated question. Yeah. More than, more so than ever. Look, I, I'm stressed. I have a lot on my plate. I'm juggling a lot. And certainly these times are unprecedented and unusual. But having said that, uh, I swore to myself, I committed to myself in the beginning of this pandemic that I would never complain Mm. because every day I think about frontline workers, essential workers, those in the healthcare industry who are literally risking their lives. You know, I'm mm. thinking right now as, as, as the state that we both live in, California, is literally going up in flames yeah. of the firefighters and first responders who are, again, also risking their lives. And so while, yes, I'm, I'm juggling a lot, it'd be nice to have um, a little more help. Moms inevitably carry a disproportionate amount of stress and, and, and just overall responsibilities 
when things like crises happen. So in a nutshell, that's how I am. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's an honest answer. And I appreciate that just because it's okay not to be okay. None of us are okay during these times, but compared to who, right? Compared to what? And there's just so many people that are just risking their lives and dying. And like, yeah, that's something that I always have to put into perspective because it's so easy to feel exhausted and depleted and wishing that things would go back to normal. But come on, like we have it so good right now compared to the frontline workers, to the people are out there. Yeah. And, you know, that that is by no means to discount people's stress levels and discount the things that we're all going through, because look, we're human. And it's easy for us to feel overwhelmed, particularly moms who are, who always bear the brunt Mm -hmm. of, you know, whatever happens. Uh, And and I I think that taking care of our mental health is really, really essential because women hold up the household. Yeah. Um, Women are responsible. It's women who are managing everyone's schedule. And even those of us who are working are still continuing to be the ones who are communicating with school, trying to figure out these schedules that have been thrown into, you know, complete flux. So, you know, while I feel incredibly grateful, I also am very attentive to my my own mental health. And it's always important for me to convey to people, but particularly moms, Mm. that paying attention to one's mental health is essential because again, we are carrying and carrying the load of the household in most yeah. cases. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you are, I'm assuming that you're kind of working right now because you have the new show, um, A Road to Vac- the Vaccine, right? Yes. And so how has that been filming during this time? You know, you're, you're talking about a subject that everyone is talking about everyone is living through everyone's scared of like is has there been any foundings during during the show any learnings that you could shine light upon us about yeah so many you know i am now hosting a show for johnson johnson called the road to a vaccine and it came along at exactly the right time because my show this is life on cnn uh was shut down because it's all travel-based. I was also about to start a brand new show for HBO Max called Birth, Wedding, Funeral. That was also, the plug was was pulled on that for the time being, again, because it's travel-related. Travel uh, and so J&J came to me in the beginning of the pandemic and asked me if I would like to host this show that would really be grounded in science, because now more than ever, there is this hunger among all of us to really understand how this pandemic happened, what what the latest progress is in how it's affecting the world, but also what we can do about it. And and it's been exciting for me because I don't have a science background. I've never been particularly, I wouldn't even say I've been really proficient in science, but it's been an incredible learning experience for me. In fact, my husband, Paul, who's a doctor slash scientist, is like blown away when I come <laughs> home talking about RNA, DNA, you know, and, and versus DNA and, you know, all of these things. But I've gotten this opportunity to be able to c- converse and communicate with the foremost scientists and healthcare experts in the world. And I think that's been really empowering for me, but I, I'm proud to say that I think that we've really empowered our audience because I think it's so crucial for us to try and absorb as much as we can about this because, you know, this may not be the last pandemic 
that mm. we, we live through. God forbid we experience another one in our lifetime, but it's not out of the realm of possibility yeah. because of the way, you know, we interact with, with animals. So that chance to, to talk to scientists um, has, has really increased my, my knowledge of science and really made me appreciate the science so much more. I'm Arielle Laurie, host of the Blonde Files podcast, where every Wednesday I cover all things wellness. After nearly dying from drugs and alcohol six years ago, I've been on a mission to live my best, most fulfilled life, and I'm sharing everything with you. From how to achieve optimal health, well-being, and fulfillment, to the best beauty tips and even cosmetic procedures, I cover it all with raw, candid conversations with experts and inspirational guests make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Now that you are so versed in, you know, I guess this world of the virus and you're learning so much, does that scare you more of knowing so much about the virus or does it inspire you and encourage you to actually move forward? Because I feel like there's two types of people. I'm going to put out, you know, Alan, my husband, he loves science. He loves like learning all about the backstory. But for him, the more he knows, I feel like sometimes it like hinders him from like moving forward because it's like, it feels scary. It feels like there's nothing you could do about it. So how do you take that? Like, how do you take all that information in and move forward? Yeah. I mean, it certainly works both ways for me because I certainly have found that when I cut myself off from information, particularly news, because news has become so polarized and politicized, mm-hmm. that I actually feel better. I feel, you know, I, I, I feel like I am mentally more stable because it is easy to fall into that rabbit hole, go down yeah. that rabbit hole of just fear and, you know, just th- that sort of perpetual sense of hazard, right? Mm-hmm. But I also do feel much more empowered and that I am able to better discern mm. what I'm reading because I am able to interact with people who have spent their lives on the front lines of, of crises like the one that we're in right now. And look, the reality is, is that even the foremost scientists in the world they're still learning a lot about this virus. I mean, this mm. is a virus that literally emerged on the world scene in January. Yeah. And so while we've learned a lot in the last eight months since it emerged, there's still a lot left to understand. But I do think that some of the things that have become so apparent is that things like masks and social distancing, they really do work. And you know, I, I think it's really important for all of us to seek out bona fide sources, scientific sources, and to not discount the science. I mean, for me, understanding the role that science plays in our lives has been really essential for me. So yes, on the one hand, in answer to your question, sometimes the more I know, the more afraid I become. But on the other hand, I also become much more empowered. Mm. And I prefer the latter. Right. For sure. Absolutely. Should parents be scared to send their kids back to school? There are a lot of parents that are figuring out their next steps. Some schools are opening up here in Los Angeles. They, public school hasn't opened up um, for the most part, I believe. 
But a lot of parents are figuring out, you know, do I send my kids back to school? You know, is it safe to? What if they get the virus? Have you learned anything about the connection between kids and the virus? Because I, I feel like I've heard so many different information about kids and the virus. Some people are saying kids can't get the virus, but obviously that isn't true because there are, you know, countless of uh, scenarios where kids have caught the virus. Yeah. Does it affect them the same? Like, do you have any information that you could actually tell parents here about? Well, from what I've deduced from the scientists that I've uh, interacted with and what I've read, kids certainly can become infected with the virus. And in some cases, they can even spread the virus more, mm. uh, more rapidly than adults. However, for the most part, it does not affect them as much as it affects adults with pre-existing health conditions. Mm. The, the big question mark though is because still there's still a lot to learn about this virus is we don't really know what the long-term effects of this virus could be on kids' respiratory systems. Mm. And this virus doesn't just affect respiratory systems. It can affect so many different parts of our, of, of our body. So this is a huge question that my husband and I have been grappling with for months. Do we send our kids back? I mean, right now our eldest is doing distance learning. Our youngest, her preschool is about to open. A lot of preschools in Los Angeles are open, but they've employed a lot of, of, of measures to try and combat spread. They've reduced class sizes. Kids are wearing masks. For the moment, we are choosing not to send our little one back to preschool. And the reason is because we have two grandmas yes. who are at our home every day. What is the hashtag you use for your grandmas? Uh, Attack of the doting grandmas yes. is the hashtag. <laughs> yeah, because they certainly are doting. One is 88 and one is about to be 74. And even though they're in good health, they are part of that demographic that has been really you know, decimated and, and, and affected pretty pretty enormously. So what we're going to do with her is probably put her in a very small pod mm. of about four kids. And I feel really lucky because my kids are really good about wearing masks. Um, in fact, my eldest, I sometimes have to tell her to take her mask off. She'll just <laughs> have it on in the car. She'll just keep it on. She'll, she'll, she'll wear it into the house and I'll say, it's okay. You can take it off. And she just, she, she, she's just gotten really good at it. I sympathize with parents whose kids hate wearing masks. My yeah. sister's son loathes wearing masks. But I do think that if cases go below 100 per 100,000, then it is relatively safe if the school employs really stringent measures, you know, replacing the, the air filter system and requiring that masks be worn. I mean, we know that masks reduce the spread of the virus uh, you know, up to 75%. And so I do think there are ways to safely open schools, depending on what the, the, the rate of cases is in your respective city. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think that's, that is, I mean, what we're technically doing as well with our kids, as you know, we have the help of grandparents as well. So we were thinking about, do we send Claude back to school or not? But yeah, we decided not to because of grandparents. And I, I personally know someone who sent their kids back to school the kid got it. Kid was fine, but gave it to grandparents. Mm. And so these stories are very, very real. And I don't know, for me, it just scares me. But at the same time, I understand that some parents just don't have the options at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and 
you can't begrudge anyone or judge anyone for the decisions they make because look, our economy is in tatters and there are people who, who desperately need to get back to work. Yes. And school is not only education for their kids, but it's childcare, it's, it's, it's sustenance, it's food. And so I respect whatever decisions parents have to make. Um, but I do think that you run a significant risk if mm. there's still a really active and increasing caseload in your county. So now that your kids are home, uh, as you mentioned, Jet is fully virtual <coughs> right now. Um, yep, she's how downstairs. Has it, uh, <laughs> Chloe's downstairs doing her virtual learning as well. How has it been homeschooling the girls? Like, ha- did Jet immediately was she able to transition quickly into virtual learning? Was there kind of a period where she just didn't get it, didn't like it? Like, how has that been? Well, when it happened uh, last term, school ended you know, they shut school down on a Thursday and by Monday they were, they were doing distance learning. I mean, our Mm -hmm. school was incredible about, um, starting it right away, but having said that, uh, it required a parent to be next to her at all times because there were these lulls where the moment she got off of zoom, she wanted to like just start playing or, and there was still a lot of work to do. And so it just required so much bandwidth from the household that was challenging. So far, she's only been in school one week. They've really, really spent time to figure out a system that works. And it's been really great. I, again, I feel pretty lucky that, that my, my eldest is pretty attentive when her teachers are on zoom but it's definitely been, you know, I, I, I would much, much prefer her to be able to go back into the classroom. I, I, I can't wait for all kids to be able to go back into the classroom because it's just good for everyone. For kids, they really need that socialization. Yeah. Um, but parents also need time to be able to focus on whatever work we need to do and, you know, and to take a little bit of a breather because it's, it's a lot when, when uh, you're dealing with household issues and trying to work 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your thoughts on screen time with kids now that the kids are so much on their laptops, their iPads, um, TV screens? What are your thoughts on screen time? Yeah, so Chris, before COVID, I was really wanting to ignite a kind of movement because to me, kids are getting free access to supercomputers. I mean, these phones that we're carrying around, they are not just phones. They are supercomputers that are able to access unlimited amounts of information. And to me, that just, that can't be good for kids' brains and for their, for their behavioral development. Now, post-COVID, our kids have needed to be online for school and for a whole range of activities because for a period, we literally could not leave home. Right. And in order for parents to get any semblance of, uh, you know, have any semblance of sanity and do any kind of work, it's so easy to be able to just hand them the device. And I know there's so many parents who are so encumbered by so many things. But I just, you know, I just want to caution parents to just be, be really, try to be really present in your kids' digital lives because they are able to be exposed to things that kids their age just shouldn't, they're not prepared to be exposed to. Mm -hmm. You know, Jet is seven. And so now she knows how to spell and read and write. We don't have YouTube on any of our, our devices, but yet she can spell YouTube. 
so she can get on it on her own and then she can she can figure out what she wants to search and and kids are so much savvier than oh, parents yeah. are when it comes to, to to being able to navigate navigate the digital world and it's just so vital that we are are, are aware of how to track where our kids have been on the World Wide Web, and to try and impose the kinds of restrictions and fil- impose filters that prevent them from accessing things that they shouldn't. Do I know how to, am I, am I particularly savvy at that? No, but it's my quest to learn and to convey that information. Because if you, you know, I, we did an episode about this um, about two years ago. If you put a word that, that, that is spoken about on a regular basis into something like Google. I'm not even going to say the word because I don't even want to plant the seed. And you hit images. And this is like, you know, everyone has Google. No one ever thinks that Google would need to be filtered. Mm -hmm. But the number of lascivious images that pop up just from Google are traumatizing. Mm. And what's important for parents to recognize is that kids, particularly young kids, when their brains are in this prime stage of development from birth to 17, they're so overwhelmed when they have these devices or have unlimited access to these devices. And once you see certain things, you can't unsee what you've just seen, right? Mm -hmm. And if a kid isn't ready to see some of the things that say they can so easily access at the tip of their fingerprints, it can scar them. And so it's really important. I know we all are so reliant on our devices more than ever. Our kids are more reliant on them. We're reliant on them for our kids. Yeah. I want to continue beating the drum of the need for, for us to be involved. I mean, we are so involved in the kinds of foods that they eat and in wanting them to do well and succeed in school. But it's it's as important, if not more important, that we are as involved in their digital lives as well. How do you become involved in a kid's digital life besides like not downloading certain apps? Like, do you put certain kind of restrictions on there? Like, is there anything tangible that you do that parents can apply into their lives as well? Because, you know, I'm not going to lie. I have YouTube on, on my phone and I really don't like it when she's on there, but she knows what she wants to watch on there. So I have deleted the app. I've re-downloaded the app. So it's like, what do you do? What does Lisa Ling do to be a present um, part of a kid's digital life? Well, I really try to have them watch shows as much as possible. Mm -hmm. See, the problem with YouTube um, is that they can constantly, like it's, 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 what's the word? It's um, re- Repopulate, repopulate, yes. Constantly, right? And so a kid, you know, when they're on YouTube, they don't want to just watch one thing because they're being tantalized mm-hmm. by all these other things that are coming up. So if they, they start watching something and for a few minutes, it's not, it's not stimulating them. They can so quickly go to whatever else they're seeing. And so they're not retaining anything, right? And it just, to me... Kids just are are increasingly unable to just have quiet time to be mm. bored. It's so important to be bored because that's when we're that's when we're really creative, right? Mm. That's when we start thinking like, what can we do? What can we do with you know this piece of paper that's just sitting here? You know what I mean? Like you you almost have to think about things that you can do with whatever's around you. 
Mm. When you have a, a, a device in your hand, especially when you're on something like YouTube, you don't need to think. It thinks for you. And it, it really, it's all about instant gratification. And I think the thing that's important for parents to realize is that these tech companies specifically design all of these features to addict you, to get you to stay on as long as possible. Every color, every feature is specifically designed. They, they employ psychologists mm. to figure out what kinds of features will keep you on the longest. And listen, I mean, look, the, it, it, it works with us adults. So yeah. imagine what it's doing to kids. And so for me, even though my eldest knows how to spell <laughs> and she can get herself on YouTube, I personally am taking YouTube off. And, you know, I'll, I'll, if there's something they want to watch and it's only on YouTube, I'll, I'll put it on mm. for them. But to try and just keep an eye on them, even if it's an, an eye in the back of your head, just to not like, here's something like, I generally don't like my kids to just be in their bedroom by themselves with a device. Right now, my daughter is on Zoom school, kind of in the middle of our house, and she's wearing headphones um, so that someone can kind of have an eye. I know that's not possible for everyone, but definitely don't let them keep a device in their room at nighttime mm. when they're tired and they're sort of like, you know, their senses are, are heightened when they should be calming down and getting yeah. ready for sleep because that's when some dangerous stuff can happen. Like yeah. when kids have devices at night, I'm still learning about the different filters that you can put on to reduce the amount of time they can be on certain things. So to the extent that you can educate yourself about the different filters that are available um, and the different safeguards, um, that's something that I'm currently trying to do right now. I think when my, when my eldest was a little younger, I had a little more leeway, but now that she knows how to spell and is so savvy on devices... I need to be really proactive mm. about trying to prevent her from just happening upon things that are inappropriate for her age. Yeah. And they don't know what's inappropriate and what is appropriate for the, their age. And they're just going to consume everything that they see. And you're right. Like the generation, because my oldest, Chloe, she's almost six now, uh, five and a half. And she started Zoom class virtual learning this week for her kindergarten. And I was like, I thought I had to sit next to her the whole time because she needed help unmuting and muting. Like girl can do everything on her own. Like she oh, yeah. could, she could type in my password. She could click on Zoom, open it up, sign in, go to the link, um, you know, unmute, mute. She knows how to put the background. I'm like, how do you do that? Can you teach your mom? So they're, I mean, it's a different generation. Like these girls, is, these kids know. If you don't, if you don't know how to to use the filters yet, again, I'm still learning. Just check out the history, you know, their history mm. where they've been browsing every now and then. I think that's really, you know, important for people to to learn how to do. And you know, again, I think that you know, if, if we we're so you know concerned about their physical health, their academic health, but their mental health to me is as important as the others and. And trust me, their mental health is affected the more access they have to this overwhelming amount of information that's even dizzying for me sometimes. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've just been on my, my phone for extended periods of time, like my head starts to hurt. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, imagine what that's, that's doing for kids. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can compare to what they can access 
on their device. And, you know, mm. again, we were under lockdown orders. We couldn't go outside, but, you know, or, or, or we couldn't, you know, go interact with people. But now when you ask your kid, if they have a device in their hand, they don't want to go outside. Sometimes they yeah. don't even want to be with their friends. Yeah. You know? And so that's something that like, we just need to stay on top of. And in some cases, make them interact with the small circle of people that you've chosen to interact with, because those physical social interactions are so important. Do you think that the pandemic had a negative effect on the kids' mental health? For sure. For sure. I mean, I definitely just think their ability to socialize because now they're getting most of their stimulation from devices, right? That's why I'm hoping that we get back to school soon. And, you know, I, I know that people are being ultra cautious and we need to be, but to the extent that you are able to find that circle of people, you know, I've been calling it like a little triangle, mm. you know, maybe, maybe like one or two families that you trust. You're constantly communicating about your whereabouts. Um, we have two such families that we started to spend a lot of time with in the, in the last couple of months. And I'll tell you something, we went on a little vacation with one family and this is after months of both families not interacting with, with anybody really, particularly the kids. Jet on the last day, she cried the entire day because for the first time in months, she was able to just like run around the beach with friends and just oh. laugh and not, you know, because whenever I take them anywhere outside to the grocery store, I mean, I don't really take them to the grocery store that much, but if I take them to places, I'm like, don't touch this, don't touch that, don't wash your hands, sanitize. You know, I'm just uh. so hyper cautious. And when we went away for that weekend, we just let them kind of run and be, be pretty free. And it was so affecting for Jet. She literally cried the entire day, but it just made me realize how much kids need that interaction with yeah. other kids and, and, and also need to, to not be shrouded in fear yeah. all the time. And one psychologist told me uh, on the show, on the road to a vaccine, he said, and do you ever ask your kids how they're feeling about everything? Mm. How they're feeling about the pandemic and, you know, just, just about, about what's been going on, not being able to see their friends, like just really having a conversation. And I started bawling because I hadn't up until that point really asked my kids about how they were feeling about the pandemic, how they were feeling about, you know, the protests that they were seeing, uh, you know, on TV that that mommy and daddy are talking about all the time. Mm. We've since just had the most incredible conversations about injustice mm. and what institutionalized racism is and the, 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 you know, the history of the United States that hasn't been particularly kind to certain demographics in this yeah. country. And it's been really, it's really been really powerful. We've had some incredible conversations, but what that, that psychologist said to me really resonated because I hadn't really I can't, hadn't really solicited my kids' feelings about everything that's happening. And it's really important to be able to do that for yeah. them to be able to emote and talk about things. That's so true. Sometimes we forget that they're, they're human too. They're, they're not just little babies, right? They have feelings, emotions, and they go through what we're going through. Yeah. And, and inevitably, inevitably, you know, there's tension in the household, you know, when we, when we're stuck together, and unable to really interact with too many people and and aren't able to leave the house, there's inevitable tension in the household. Yeah. 
And I think our inclination is to not expose our kids to it and to maybe fight or have disagreements away from them, but they feel it. They, they know it. it. Yeah. And so, so it's important to also talk to them about how they're feeling about it so that you can kind of explain that it's okay. We all love each other, but sometimes, you know, things happen, but, but, but they're smart enough to be able to, you know, have things explained to them so that they just aren't kind of operating in the dark because that's really scary. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, your girls, how, how old are your girls now? So Jet is seven and Ray is four. Okay, so Jet is definitely old enough to understand to some degree what is going on from COVID to Black Lives Matter to all this like acts of anti-racism or anti-Asian xenophobia. How do you have these conversations with them? Because I would imagine that you do talk to her about it. And how much should you talk to your child about it? Now that like, the door is open. The kids know what's going on. We have to do some explaining, right? What is too much and what is enough? Yeah, I mean, I don't read the newspaper to them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I have found that the absolute best way in to talk about things that are happening in the world and to talk about history is through kids' books. Mm. And there are so many great ones out there. I mean, Ray, who's only four... Since she was three, she knows exactly who Rosa Parks is, or what you know. She, when she was three, she knew exactly who Rosa Parks is. What was she knows exactly who Martin Luther King Jr. was. You know, she knows about Amelia Earhart. Um, she knows, and certainly, you know, these these books. They're very they're, they're age appropriate. You know, I mean, if you ask Ray today, like who is Rosa Parks, and she'll tell you she she was a black woman who was sitting in the wrong part of the bus. And when she was told to go to the back of the bus by a white man, she refused and went to jail. And she said, by doing that, I can ride the bus. <laughs> and we all can ride the bus and we can sit wherever we want on the bus. So, you know, again, they're very sort of simplistic conversations, but there are so many incredible books for kids about social justice and about, you know, even things like pandemics, you know, mm. things like viruses and, and diseases that um, just give you kind of an easy way in. So I would highly recommend seeking some of those resources out. Amazing. What we're, we're coming towards the end of this, but what is your definition of success when it comes to parenting? Because everyone has a different idea of what success is, right? But to you, what does success mean? It's a great question, Chris. And I wish I had one definitive answer. You know, I... I think it's easy to feel a lot of pressure in parenting, especially in the age of social media, right? When you see, you know, kids doing extraordinary things, you think, well, my kid's not doing those things in, in such an extraordinary way or doing it them at all. I mean, I think it's easy to kind of question your parenting or even question your kids. And so I am trying hard to not allow those outside influences to impact the way I parent. And ultimately, I think success in parenting is having appreciative kids, kids who are grateful, kids who aren't entitled, kids who recognize that, you know, whatever challenges they have, there are people who have it worse and that we should be grateful for whatever we have. To me, that is the most important thing to instill in my kid is just that sense of, of, of gratitude. 
and it's hard to do in a world that is so consumer driven, you know, when, when inevitably when they see kids that have, you know, amazing houses or amazing clothes or amazing, whatever it's, it's, it's instinctive for them to say, well, I want that. But that's something that, that is an ongoing effort on the part of my husband and me to just try really hard to convey the importance of, um, of gratitude. Do you believe in the word balance? Um, do you believe in there is such a thing of having a balanced life? Is there such I a mean, thing? It, it, ba- the, the word balance is definitely not in my vocabulary. <laughs> and even, <laughs> even less so during a pandemic. You know, I, and, I, and I think we're deluding ourselves to think that we can achieve that when, especially when we, we're talking about working moms, mm-hmm. when we're trying to juggle so much. And that's okay. You know, one of the things that I think we, as working moms, I mean, generally, you know, there's this, this feeling, right, that we have to be a super mom. And when people tell us we're a super mom, like we wear that as a badge of pride. Yeah. But when you stop and think about it, it's like, why are we trying to strive for that when it's, when it's impossible mm. and that we shouldn't be afraid to, to delegate to people like our partner or, you know, or, or family members or friends. I mean, you can always ask, you know, you may get rejected, but I think it's really important for us to not feel like we have to do anything. I mean, it's really funny because I have a girlfriend she and I are constantly complaining about how our husbands like are just kind of clueless. Like they're so focused on their own work that, you know, my husband asked me like, what are, what are Jet's teacher's names again? I'm like, really? (laughs) You get the same emails as I do. My friend's husband said, honey, what time does school end again? It's like the same time it ended yesterday. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, but somehow men, you know, I think have, have historically just been kind of given a pass because they are the providers and, and, and I don't want to put, I don't want to, you know, be down on my husband, but at the same time, part of it is me too, mm-hmm. because I think that as moms, we just do it right. Because if we don't do it, it's not going to get done, mm. but it's also on us to ask for help if we need to do that as well. You know, we can't feel like we need to do it all. And men just, we just have to acknowledge that men are not as good at multitasking as women. It's just, it's a fact. It. And, and, and it shouldn't make us mad. We should just tell them because when I tell my husband, <laughs> he usually kind of, he'll, he'll, he'll do whatever I ask him to do. I just have to remind him and I have to be okay with that, that he's not just going to think, Oh, school ends at two o'clock and I need to do this, that, and the other. That's just something that is sort of innate, I think for women. Yeah. Women are doers and we, we just you get know, shit done. Yeah, we, just do. We, we do. And no one has to tell us. No one has to babysit us. And have you ever experienced mom guilt because you're doing so much? Like, do you ever feel like you could be more present with your kid if you weren't working? Like, have you ever experienced those thoughts before? Every single day. <laughs> In fact, every couple of hours, <laughs> mom guilt. And, you know, I think we all feel that way, whether, whether we're working or not. I mean, I know plenty of, of stay-at-home moms who feel guilty that they're not working or feel guilty for a myriad of reasons. That's also something I think that, that, that is innate in us. And, you know, I do think that we need to kind of like lock arms and, and just tell each other that 
you know, there's nothing to feel guilty about. We're doing the best job that we can. And I actually think our kids really recognize that, you yeah. know, I mean, my, my husband's mom was a working mom her whole life. And she, she ran um, the Head Start program in Newark, New Jersey for over 30 years. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, she wasn't able to be as present when he was a child as he would have liked. And I think for a long time, he sort of felt like a little resentment for that. But now he recognizes like, wow, you know, now that he has kids, like my mom, you know, was shouldering so much. I mean, he has a new, like a real deep appreciation for all the things. And he's really proud of her that she was able to do what she did. And so, but again, you know, I think she could have done a better job at communicating why she had to do these things. It's just not something in Asian culture yeah. that we are too accustomed to. You know, the idea of our parents communicating with us about how hard they had to work or about how afraid they were if they, you know, lost their job or whatever, that just didn't happen. And so I think we can take a page from that and really learn that communication with our kids is so essential in, in, in helping them understand the, the, the ways of the world. Yeah, that's so, so good and so true. And thank you so much for, you know, the one reason why I've like just loved you from the day. I don't even know when we met. We met so long ago, like through a mutual friend and you just always kept it real with me. And like, you always told me, even though like you were Lisa Ling and like you were everywhere to me, you're just real, like a real mom, a real friend. And I just really appreciate your honesty with like all the ups and downs with parenting. I know that everyone listening here are just like struggling too. And I know yeah. that all these things that you're talking about is really going to resonate with them. So thank you so much thank for you. this. And Chris, I'm so, you know, yes, we've known each other for many, many years. And, 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 you know, the one great thing about social media, obviously, is you're able to kind of like watch people's progress and what's going on in their lives. And it's been really fun, you know, watching how, how, you know, you've navigated the world and I've been really proud of you. And it's, it's been really, you know, really awesome to see you really blossoming. Uh, out you. In the world. If there's one advice you can tell all parents just to end all of this, uh, what would that be? I would just uh, say to not be so hard on yourself, you know, give yourself a break and, and not feel like you need to be a super mom or a super parent or need to be able to keep up with the Joneses. You know, I mean, everyone's got their stuff and and it's really important to just really be attentive to your own mental health and and recognize that you know things always always look so much more impressive on the outside and when you look inside you know everybody's got their their issues and and no one's life is perfect so stop beating yourself up i resonate with that 1000% so thank you thanks chris uh, thank you lisa Oh, and then also, where can everyone find you? I'm sure everyone is following you already, but if they aren't, <laughs> where can they find you? So my show, This Is Life on CNN, will be coming back probably in the latter part of the fall. There's this little election that's happening that's kind of throwing all programming, <laughs> uh, making a little askew. But yeah, we're coming back in the fall and it's an incredible season. Uh, and I'm also hosting a digital series called The Road to a Vaccine, which is seen on Johnson & Johnson's um, uh, social channels. And also you have an awesome Instagram, Lisa Ling. Instagram. She posts a lot of photos of sunset and her kids. <laughs> 
So if you guys aren't following her there, make sure to follow her there. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Talk Thanks, soon. Chris. Bye. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really is the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more of us, head over to our Instagram and follow us there at Bumo Parent. And to learn more about Bumo Brain Virtual School, follow us at Bumo Brain or head over to bumobrain.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.